we've never done it before. Let's welcome Chaplain Richmond, the Chaplain Mosley, men and women of Chesterfield County Jail. We love you. We love you. Tell the person next to you, you look good. Come on, tell them you look good. And you can be seated. Well, we are in a series that we launched last week called You Asked For It. And I'll tell you a little bit about that in just a second, but I always love to look at the back of the room and say good morning to everybody at different campuses. We're one church in a few different locations, so good morning to the chapel in Richmond. We, we get to do Fall Fest at uh, Richmond and Midlothian location. I know they shut down streets down there and hay rides through the city. I mean, how cool is that? Right in the middle of Scott's edition. So you guys are going to want to be a part of that. And we love what God's doing already. And we're in our sixth week in the chapel in Mosley, Virginia. And uh, you just need to know that if you're here in Midlothian at 930 and you live, you live over in Mosley, we are live in person, 930 Mosley Elementary School right now. They're a team of people. And a huge shout out to you guys for getting here early and setting up chairs and worship rooms and nurseries. So we can do church in, uh, in an elementary school. So I love that. And then we're going to show you the videos and some of the pictures of this soon. But we had just an incredible day on Wednesday. We do this uh, once a year where we go into Chesterfield County Jail and celebrate baptisms. And it was really special. We were able to, on Wednesday, in person, baptize um, 23 women and 31 men in Chesterfield County Jail. It was telling you it was so special and uh, I just want to look at the camera and say it's like it's like going home when we're there in the jail because we've been partnering so long together and and so many people part of our church are out of the jail and part of the community here and we love bringing all of who we are right into the jail there but it was special as the men and women came into that room and we got to celebrate and worship together and lift our hands and preach the Bible and and baptize men and women and uh, it, we just are so honored to be able to do that in fact um, Jay told me he didn't think I would shout him out today personally. So Jay, <laughs> welcome to the chapel, man. I love you. And uh, so I just wanted to give you a shout out. And um, and it was really special there because they, those that were planning on being baptized wore these uh, rubber like flip-flop things because they were getting ready to get wet. And so we got, as the line of men and women would line up to be baptized, uh, some were some were taking their sneakers off, and what that meant was that they had come to that service not planning to be baptized, but had decided in that moment to be baptized, and it was just really special. Uh, and a huge shout out to Zachary, man, I'm so proud of you. Came up to me at the end of the gathering and told me that he grew up Muslim and made a decision on Wednesday to follow Jesus. And I just want you to know we're so proud of you. I mean, sincerely. Uh, and it's one of the joys of our church to be able to just partner with you guys. And we believe in you, believe in the best for you guys. Right after the 8 a.m. service today, um, a mother came to me and said, I'm at this church because my son is in Chesterfield County Jail. And I'm at this church so that when he comes out, he meets me here. And uh, so I just want you to know it's not just words. It's not just our lips. It's our heart. Feel our heart. You're part of who we are. We love you. And Chapel, I want to say a huge thank you to you for just your generosity, your part through giving, serving, uh, investing in this ministry and seeing lives change, not only in this building, but some of the most free people I've ever met were in a jail on Wednesday. 
And I've met people who are out of jail who are less free than them. And so we give God praise. Can we give God just one shot of praise today for that? Thankful for that. Man, we're so excited. Like you heard, uh, there is Fall Fest tonight. And then first Wednesday, one of our mentors, Dr. Roden, uh, founder of West End Assembly of God, will be preaching for us this Wednesday, 7 o'clock. You've never been part of a uh, of first Wednesday. The worship's a little longer. The, the teaching's a little deeper. I mean, we just we take the seatbelt off a little. And you need to be a part of uh, first Wednesday if you never have this week. All right, you ready for God's word? Let's do this. Uh, well, we're in a series that we launched called You Asked For It. You, you need to check out the message last week, an incredible kickoff, answering the question, uh, how do you hear God's voice? And what, what you ask for it is, is every Easter we do a survey as a church where we ask the chapel, everyone who's there on Easter Sunday, uh, what, what do you want to hear preached? Uh, tell us some Bible passages you want to hear, or some topics or current events. And we compile literally hundreds and hundreds of these responses. And then we cre- kind of create the top uh, questions that are asked. And then we bring these messages you asked for. It's my favorite series of the year because if it's no good, it's your fault. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, but one of, the, one of the most often asked questions was something like, how do I handle stress? How do I handle anxiety? How do I handle pressure? And so we're going to, in fact, it's been the last few years, so we're going to try to preach a little better on it. So maybe this year it won't be one of the most asked. But how many know we live in a stressed out world? Come on. Anxious world. Come on. An a, a, a uptight world. And, um, and, 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 and I think we all face this, whether or not we're prone to anxiety. Some of us are just kind of prone a little bit to that. And then some of you just, you're, you're perfectly at ease in every moment and you never are anxious. And you just need to know from the rest of us, that makes us kind of mad. We kind of don't like it. Come on, where are the people that you're a little stressed out? Come on, everybody just a little stressed out. Okay, some of you aren't raising your hands and I need to help you. You are a little stressed out. And, and, and so how do you deal with anxiety? How do you deal with stress? And we're going to look at the great prophet Elijah. In fact, let me set it up. We'll be in 1 Kings, the Old Testament book, chapter 19 today. But let me set it up with chapter 18. In 1 Kings 18, Elijah has just won a great victory uh, against 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. In fact, it's one prophet, Elijah, the prophet of God, versus 850 uh, pagan prophets. And, and they have this competition to see which God will answer by fire. And, and <laughs> the prophets of Baal pray all day, and God, their God doesn't answer. But Elijah prays about a 45-second prayer, and his God answers. And it's an incredible victory where Elijah shows himself strong, and God shows himself strong on behalf of Elijah And then we get right after this great victory that Elijah's won in chapter 18, right to chapter 19. And you'd think Elijah would be filled with faith, but let me kind of show you how it goes. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah on Facebook (laughs) and said, how many know that's where the world works sometimes? I'm just telling you, Elijah's having a good life. And all of a sudden, uh, Jezebel gives this message, this declaration. Have you ever noticed that your peace can be interrupted by other people's behavior? I mean, I, mean, I know we, we're control of our own emotions. But how many of you ever been just having a good day and somebody else spoiled it? The other day I was right at a roundabout, uh, not far from here. And I just, I'm an efficient driver. And I moved kind of through the roundabout. And I didn't even make the guy that was coming around slow down at all. I just moved nicely through it. 
And at the next light, he pulled up right next to me and he told me I was the number one pastor in town. And I just thought to myself, man, how stressed out are we around here? And uh, so I forgive you. He didn't have a chapel sticker, but I mean, Elijah's having a great day and all of a sudden it's interrupted by Jezebel's threats. May the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. And you'd think Elijah would be filled with faith. I mean, he just won this huge victory the, the chapter before. But Elijah was, come on, somebody help me. Elijah was what? He was, he was afraid. This man of faith was now full of fear. Have you ever noticed that our emotions can swing a little? From moments where we're filled with faith and trusting God to moments where we're afraid. And Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. We're going to talk about that in a second. He probably should have stayed in community. Well, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. No one ever puts this verse on a coffee mug. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. You know, aren't you glad God doesn't answer all your prayers? <laughs> like, this is a bad one. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And this is amazing. Elijah's dealing with the swirling emotions up and down. He's living right where we live. In fact, James chapter 5 said Elijah is a man just like us. In fact, that's what I love about scripture. It doesn't hide the mistakes and the shortcomings of even the greats of faith. How many know we're all human? One author said there are no great people up close, meaning we all have problems, we all have challenges, we all have difficulties, we all have anxiety. Come on, we all have issues, right? And Elijah in chapter 18 is filled with faith, and in chapter 19 he's filled with fear and fleeing. And all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. Come on, the first DoorDash in scripture. <laughs> and a jar of water, and he ate and drank, and he lay down again. Takes a nap. God feeds him, takes another nap. How many are liking this sermon so far? Like, this is one of my favorites. And uh, in fact, just so you know, one of the things I do, if I ever want to fall asleep, I just put golf on. I don't care who's playing. I wake up, pretty much the same thing going on. You know what I mean? The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him. Look how patient God is with him. Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached the mountain of God. I love how patient God is with Elijah. And I love how patient God is with us because we need it. Come on. And it's interesting to me, we're going to look at some of the spiritual things that God tells Elijah to do. But the first thing he does is deal with his physical fatigue and his physical uh, 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 depletion. Did anybody ever found a time in life that physically you didn't feel quite right and it affected your emotions and your spirit, right? And, and so God, rather than saying, hey, Elijah, you bum, I answered by fire just one chapter ago. Come on, get with the program, you dirtbag. That's how I would have answered. 
But instead, he's kind and he's gracious. And he realizes Elijah's been moving at a speed that's maybe a little bit too fast. And so God offers him grace. Let me give you a few principles if you're stressed out today. Uh, that, in fact, somebody after the 8 a.m. service said to me, I missed point number three. And I said, you feel, you're too stressed about it. You know what I mean? Like, chill out a little, you know. Uh, but here's the first one. I think it's true. Some of our anxiety comes from the pace that we move at. Just write this down. I think we need to find the pace of grace. Come on, that's good. I worked on it all week. Come on, find the pace of grace. I mean, some of our anxiety is self-induced by the speed that our soul is traveling at. We're, we're taking on so much in our life that, that it's overwhelming us. And we're saying yes to too many things and we're stretched too far. And some of the anxiety we feel is put on ourself, isn't it? I mean, there are times that other people hit us with it, but then there are times that there's a challenge. And I think we talked about it. If you missed the message last week, you can go back and see it, that busyness is a badge that our culture wears, isn't it? Like, I, I, I've done this much. I've accomplished this much. Nobody, nobody ever just says, man, how you doing? I feel so rested. How you doing? I've got great boundaries. I'm great. I'm prioritizing the right thing, you know? And, and yet we live in a culture that's like get more, do more, push more, go after more. 1950, a study said that by the year 2000, Americans would only work 20 hours a week because of the creation of technology. How many know technology has made our life easier in some ways, but how many know it's made it harder in some ways? And we live in a culture of get more, do more. In fact, the, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that this is the view of our culture. It's, it's, he says, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. What he's saying is our culture says if you have one, it'd be better if you had two. But God says sometimes it's better to have one and peace than two and, and uh, anxiety in our soul, Right? How many know our culture says if, it's, if you have one, it's better to have two? Come on, if you have one car, it's better to have two cars. <laughs> if you have one house, it's better to have two houses. Come on. If you have one dollar, it's better to have two dollars. Come on. If you have one wife, it's better to have, come on. <laughs> two, that's wrong. Come on, no. I mean, like they say, give more, accumulate more, do more. And I'm telling you, one of the challenges I think Elijah faces in 1 Kings 19 is he's just got a fatigue to his own soul. He's overwhelmed physically. And God, before he even corrects him spiritually, he patiently and lovingly, like a kind God, says, take a nap and eat some Panera bread and you'll feel better when you wake up, right? And I'm telling you today, some of the challenge in our life can be just self-inflicted from us moving at our own pace. And, and God says, we need to learn to move at the pace of what? Come on, the pace of, pace, one more time, come on, the pace of what? The pace of, pace of grace. And so what God does is he tells Elijah, relax. And Elijah went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. I mean, look at the pity party he throws. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. Feel bad for me. 
Uh, I'm the only, how many know when you think you're the only one, you're listening to a lie, right? That God will tell Elijah in the next chapter, there are se- or in a few verses, there are 7,000 prophets who have yet to bow. But Elijah feels like he's the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. How many know there's no party like a pity party because a pity party don't stop, you know? And Elijah throws a pity party, right? Like, here's what he's facing. Here's what he's challenged with. And he, and he has this bad attitude. And the Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. And a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Come on, earth, wind, and fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, help me out, what? A gentle, a gentle whisper. (laughs) Here's the second thing. If we're ever going to get through the the stress and anxiety of our life, we're going to have to learn. I think this is so true. We're going to have to learn how to cultivate the presence of God in our lives. And God gets Elijah alone in a cave and he appears to him in a gentle whisper, in kindness and in humility. He just appears to Elijah so Elijah might have a sense of God's power and grace. And I'm telling you today, not only do you need to some rest, but sometimes you just need to get in the presence of God so that you understand that there are no big problems to God. How many know there are only little problems to a big God? In fact, in Psalm 73, Asaph, who's one of the chief musicians, he complains throughout the whole psalm, if you read it, Psalm 73. Do you know there's a whole lot of psalms where just the the writer complains? It's like a country song. You know, my dog died, my pickup broke down. It's that. But I love after he complains all the way towards the end of Psalm 73, he said, when I tried to understand all that was going on in the world, and sometimes this is true, we won't understand it all. But then he says, it troubled me deeply until, look at this, that's the word, until I entered the what? The sanctuary of God. And then it all made sense. How many know sometimes you just have to get in the presence of God to get a sense of his power, a sense of his assurance, a sense of his grace. I remember... um, I remember uh, in the middle of COVID, it was a few weeks in and everybody was saying, I don't know if you remember this, that people would never talk to each other again. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like the world would be distant and everybody was writing how church was never coming back in person and everything. I remember as a pastor having a little pity party and telling Katie, like, I don't even know, maybe we should sell our building. Maybe church is just going online. How many know that was a lie, right? And, And I got all discouraged and people were saying what could be and what could not be. And I finally uh, got my phone and I got my Bible and I went to a coffee shop that I used to sit at um, in downtown Richmond to just meet with the Lord. And when I got there, it was closed. <laughs> and I had a pity party outside. I was like, even the coffee, Lord, church isn't open and the coffee, like even the devil is coming after me here, you know. And I remember sitting in the parking lot and I remembered some of my first days in this city, just believing God for this church. And as I sat in that parking lot and I just prayed to God, God began to fill me with faith. And he said, well, remember, I didn't bring you here to Richmond to fail. And, and even if things don't go the way you want, I'm still gonna build my church. And You need to get over it and get encouraged. I pulled into a parking lot without coffee discouraged. Here's the miracle. I pulled out of a parking lot without coffee, but encouraged. Because there was something about the presence of God just reminding me of his faithfulness. 
That's what, that's what happens in Elijah's life. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mountain. And, and Elijah complains to God. But what God does, just so you see it, is he tells him, you don't have to live this way. Because Elijah has been complaining. He has been ruminating. Where are the people that ruminate in this room? You know what ruminating is? It means thinking negatively over circumstances. Here's the definition. The focused attention of the symptoms of one's distress as opposed to its solutions, right? So here's what ruminating is. It's when somebody does something wrong to you and you relay, relay it and replay it in your mind over and over and over again. In fact, the Hebrew word is like the word regurgitate. Come on. This is encouraging. A cow does what? It chews the grass. Come on. It swallows it. Come on. Then what does it do? It brings it back up to enjoy it again. How many know every time it swallows it and brings it back up, it gets grosser? And how many know the more we think about it, ponder upon it, and get discouraged on it, the worse. Anybody ever just thought yourself into a bigger problem than you really had? Oh, I don't know. It could be over. You never know. I remember my daughter had her first fender bender two months ago, and she calls me. She says, Dad, I just had an accident. I said, oh, my gosh, I'm on my way. She said, the other guy's really mad. I said, oh, no. How, I'm getting in the car, and I'm driving. I said, how bad is it? She's like, I don't know, but he's really mad. And I said, what's he upset about? And she said, well, I told him I don't have insurance. And I said, well, you do have insurance. She's like, I do? So that could be why he's upset. I pull up and there's the tiniest scratch on the bumper. And he goes, I can't believe she doesn't have insurance. And I said, no, she's just an idiot. She's fine. We have insurance. We're good. Everything's fine. I'm telling you, I had her in jail and, 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 I, and, and my, my home being repossessed. Come on. And her, her rolling around with a cane the rest of her life. You know what I mean? And all it was was a little bloop. You know what I mean? The start and go. It wasn't her fault because nothing ever is. But that's a side note. I'm just telling you, you think about something long enough, you ruminate about something. This happened to me, this function, this isn't going to work, I don't know what's going to happen. And we ruminate and ruminate and ruminate. And I'm here to remind us, sometimes our thoughts are our biggest problems. Paul Tripp said, no one talks to you more than you do, right? In fact, I, in fact, we got these great promises in God's word, but sometimes we don't even hear them the right way. Somebody gave me the anti-Psalm 23. Can I share it with you? So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. How many know it? Come on. I can switch the sermon. Anybody, right? Psalm 23, but I want to give you the anti. This is the ruminator's Psalm 23. If when you're depressed, you were to write Psalm 23, here's sometimes how we read it. I'm on my own. No one else looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing is quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want it. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by the emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and the final loss. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen to me. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one's really for me except me. My cup is never quite full enough. 
I'm left empty. Surely disappointment follows me all the days of my life, and I will be forever free-falling into void. Amen. Yeah. How many know some of us have the promises of Psalm 23, but once we run it through the filter of our own rumination, it comes out like this. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. One counselor says this, 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. The way you talk. So just write this down. If we're ever going to get out of anxiety and ever going to be who God's called us to be, we've got to let the narrative I believe about myself come from God's word. I'm God's son. I'm God's daughter. I'm called. I'm forgiven. I have a future. I have a hope. He's for me. Heaven is my home. Alabama will win the national championship. The Lord is with us. And you got to talk yourself there even when you don't feel it. And I'm just telling you today, Elijah was in the, I'm the only one, they'll never be, it won't work. <laughs> I'm going to vent. And, and that took him down the wrong path. And I love that God meets him there and he encourages him, don't live that way. Hey, what if we just believed what God said about us? <laughs> Chapel, what if we just believed what God said about us? <laughs> Well, how would it free us? And the Lord says to Elijah, here's what I want you to do. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Anoint Jehu. Here's what he's saying. Go back to the place where I called you and go back to doing the things I called you to do. And some of you need to hear that today. Go back to the place where you remember God called you. You say, I don't remember the last time. God hasn't spoken to me in a while. What if you just went back to the place where you remembered he did speak to you? And what if you just started doing again what he created you to do? And God tells him, listen, you're going you're gonna to have a ministry and a future. You're going to have Elisha. You're going you're gonna to move forward with faith. He's literally telling him, I, I still have 7,000 who haven't bowed. Here's what he's telling him. He's telling him, you've got to go back to, to a reminder of who I called you to be. You've got to find or renew my God-given purpose in life. What has God called you to do? What purpose and destiny has he set on your life? And you've got to change the, the, the thinking. You've got to eject the cassette tape. Anybody remember that? You got to flip the script. You got to change the narrative. You got to remember that God has a purpose and a plan and a calling. And he says to Elijah, I've just done something great. And oh, how quick you are to forget my faithfulness. Aren't we so quick to forget the faithfulness of God? So throughout scripture, God's people have to remember over and over and over again. I remember growing up, I went to a church that had church on Thanksgiving Day. Y'all don't even know old school church, I'm telling you. Thanksgiving morning, we went to church. And it was the only service of the year where the pastor would just pass the, mic- he'd just pass the microphone around. And anyone could do anything. It was like a really incredible experience as a kid. But you know what Thanksgiving morning was? He would just pass the microphone and people would just stand up and they would say, here's what I'm thankful for. And people would say, thank the Lord for the craziest things. I'll never forget one lady just went on for about three minutes about how she thanked God for her cat that got sick and he didn't die. And uh, I'll never forget this as a kid. She hands the mic to the guy next to him and his thankfulness was that he didn't have a cat. Come on, somebody. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. 
but I'm telling you, just hearing other people, there, I'm telling you, there needs to be a reminder of how faithful God has been. We're going into Thanksgiving after this, and you can set up for Christmas whenever you want because it's a blessing of God to set up for Christmas, even before Thanksgiving, that's fine. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there's something about rehearsing the faithfulness of God. The old hymn writer said, count your blessings, name them one by one. Because there's something about just being reminded and renewed and, and reconnected to the faithfulness of God in our lives. In fact, Viktor Frankl said, life is never made unbearable by, by difficult circumstances, but only by a lack of meaning and purpose. And I think we live in a culture where people don't know if there's meaning or purpose. I'm telling you, you're cre if you understand you're created by God, that means he's gifted you and equipped you and given you talents that are to be used for his purpose, right? And God pulls the prophet Elijah alone and he says, I just need to remind you for a few minutes. Here's what God did. Go back to Beersheba, the place of the oath where I first spoke to you. And then get back to anointing new kings. Here's who you are and here's what you're supposed to do. Here's who you are and here's what you're supposed to do. And I just am here today to remind some of you, God has set his hand on you. And God has something special for you. And you just need to be reminded who you are and what God's called you to be. In fact, it's why we believe in growth track so much around here. The second week of growth track is always about you and not about us. In fact, do you know some of the greatest ministries that have been started at the chapel had nothing to do with leaders. It had to do with just church people coming through growth track who had a passion for God to do something great in an area like the prison ministry that then God built. Why? Because how many know God has given us all a purpose and a calling, right? And he pulls Elijah aside and he reminds him of that. And what I love is what Elijah does from there is immediately he goes and finds, come on, Elijah finds who? Come on. Let me just say this. We were all, every Elijah needs an Elisha. In fact, every person needs an encourager. In fact, we have one of the members of our church who just had a passion for mentoring. We just launched a chapel men uh, mentoring ministry that's just connecting younger guys to older guys so that there might be. How many know everybody needs somebody further down the road in life than you? Who's, who, somebody said mentoring is a shortcut to success because you can either learn from your failures or from your mentors. That'll preach, right? <laughs> Why not learn from somebody else's and not make them, right? And Elisha finds his Elijah. But not only does Elisha need Elijah in order to mentor him, every, every Elijah needs someone to pour into, right? And so he pulls this man under his arm and, and Elisha is out plowing 12 yoke of oxen so he had a good work ethic and I could preach on that. But in that moment, a connection is made and Elijah goes up to him and threw, throws his cloak around him. This is his way of saying, we're gonna be like blood brothers. Come on, somebody. Some of you, I grew up in the 80s when you wanted to prove your friendship. You prick your fingers, come on. And you both mix your blood, come on. It's back when this was allowed. And uh, it's like, we're blood brothers, you know. No, you're just pretty dumb, you know. But it was a way of saying we're going to be committed to one another. And so just write this down. It's the last point here this weekend. If we're going to get out of discouragement, we've got to maintain in our life godly relationships. How many know we need one another? Don't we? We're created for community. We're created for connection. In fact, there's a study done of a group of people that were processing anxiety. And one of the actual things that was prescribed by doctors 
was a community garden. They got this group of people together and they started working on a community garden and everyone was like, how does this work? And they, there were two test groups, one that was on medication and one that was assigned to the garden. And do you know those that were assigned to the garden outperformed even those on medication? Because there's something about a task and there's something about a community. Every parent with a, with a young boy knows if you don't give them something to do, come on, somebody, how many know? They will do something terrible. You know what I mean? Everyone needs a calling and everyone needs a crew to do it with. <laughs> everyone needs a community. In fact, the Bible warns about doing life in isolation. There was a man all alone. That wasn't good. No end to his toil. And the Bible says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help them up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help him up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Here's what he's saying. We were, how many know we were made for one another? We we're made for community. We we're made for connection. We we're made for relationships with one another. We we're made to be in connection and community for one another. One of our staff pastors introduced this idea um, about small groups. He said, it's kind of like you have hot tub friends. And I was like, what is a hot tub friend? And he's like, well, you know how you don't just get in a hot tub with anyone? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, that's what real small group is. When you really do life together long enough, you're okay, you're hot tub friends. And so we almost put it in the curriculum, but we didn't want to get it, the wrong idea out in town, you know. How many know everybody needs a hot tub friend? Come on. Everybody needs a hot tub friend. Everybody needs a community. One theologian put it this way. Don't, don't be you. Don't be yourself. Be us. Be we. Be part of a group, right? Be connected. Part of why God, part of the way God heals us from anxiety and from stress is when we go through the journey with other people encouraged, strengthened, equipped to be all that God has called us to be. Equipped to do all that God has called us to be. You know, there's a group of pastors around the country. Every Sunday morning, I get a text from some pastor friend thinking of you, praying for you. In fact, we stopped even texting words. We send each other voice memos. How many know what that is? You know what I mean? It's early in the morning, just all across the country. Hey, praying for you today, cheering you on. Let me know how it goes. I'm thinking of you. Why? It's just connection, community. We're in this together. There's something God wants to do. And God has created for all of us a community. That's what the local church is all about. That's why I believe in the local church because God did not create us to go through things alone, but to go through it with other people. My prayer today, the word anxiety comes from the Latin word to choke, is that God would come and just take the things that are squeezing us and, and taking the life out of us and he'd pull that off of us and he'd give us strength and peace. Isaiah 26, three, God said, God, he, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon me. And that's my prayer for peace. How many would receive a little dose of peace? Come on, you know, a little dose of peace, you know. So God, I pray that over every person at every campus, in every situation, in every circumstance, God, you know, the needs that have been brought into this room, some big, some that just seem big. But you are the prince of peace. And you are the God of peace. 
So I pray the peace of God in every heart, in every life, oh God. I pray just like you were so kind and patient with Elijah, God, you'd be kind and patient with us. And you'd be the God that brings us peace. Would you bow with me this morning? Nobody's looking around. In just a second, we're going to be done. But the truth is, the Bible says we can all have peace with God. And that comes through Jesus. That means that without accepting Christ into our life, there's a block between us and God. We don't have peace with God. But Jesus has come to make peace. In fact, Ephesians says he is our peace who's broken down the wall and, and come to bring us connected to God. So nobody's looking around on any campus, but if you're here today, you say, Pastor, I'm not even sure I've ever given my life to Jesus or I'm not sure I've really trusted him with my life. Would you pray with me today? I want to. If that's you, you're not sure you're a follower of Jesus or not sure you maybe you walked away from it, just raise your hand. Anyone here in this room in Midlothian, you say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure of where I'm at in my relationship with God. Yes, I thank you for that hand. I appreciate it. Anybody else? Yep, thank you. I see it, sir, in the back. Yes, ma'am, right there. I see it. Anybody else? Yep, thank you, ma'am, right there. Yes, young lady. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. I don't know where I'm at in my own relationship with God in Richmond or in the lobby or here in Mo. Midlothian or mostly. Pastor, pray for me one last time. I don't know where I'm at in my relationship with God. Would you pray for me? So right where you're seated, you just pray a prayer that goes like this. God, I know you love me so much. You sent your son Jesus to die. And today I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Would you come into my life? Would you take away my sin and forgive me? Would you give me a new heart? And by your grace, I will give you my whole life and I'll serve you all the days of my life. Today I make you my Lord and the treasure of my life. Forgive me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, Chapel, there's a bunch of people that took steps of faith today. Can we tell them we're proud of them? Greatest decision you could ever make. You can stop by Next Steps. You can email us. Talk to one of our team. We don't want to hound you, but we would love to help you grow in your faith and learn how you can just follow him uh, uh, into a bright future. Well, how many are grateful for the peace of God? You know, there's something about laying down our anxiety. In fact, just before we leave, we won't even sing the whole song, but there's just a song that says, God, I lift the burdens that I have and, and, the, and, the, and the anxieties that I have. I'm going to lift them to you. I'm going to believe that in every room, we're going to leave anxiety anxiety and trade it for his peace. Come on, would you stand in the lobby, stand in Midlothian, in Mosley, in Richmond, hold your hand like this and just say, God, I release every bit of anxiety, every bit of it all to you, God. We lift our hands, we lift our hearts, we lift everything that's holding us back.